Hey everybody, welcome back. This is George Darden, and we appreciate your listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by Tail Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Uh, today, Patrick Ollinger and I are going to be talking about speed work for long-distance endurance athletes. Oftentimes, when we're training people for Ironman races or for marathons or even half marathons and half Ironmans, they ask us why it is that they have to spend so much time running or riding or swimming faster than they are planning to do on race day. Uh, and we decided to, to address that question head on and, and talk about that as one of our episodes here today. So we appreciate your mention it. Uh, a couple things before we get started here. First of all, I want to remind everyone how you can get in contact with us. Uh, if you have a question for me, I'm George at itlcoaching.com. Patrick is Patrick at itlcoaching.com. Or you can just send us an email at the podcast email address pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Likewise, you can also just reach out to us on Facebook or on Twitter, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast or Twitter is at pleasantpodcast. The other thing I wanted to do before we actually got started here is I wanted to give a shout out to the Atlanta Track Club. Uh, Yesterday uh, here in Atlanta, the USATF Masters 5K Road Championship was hosted by the Atlanta Track Club at the Atlanta's Finest 5K. Uh, they started the uh, the Masters men and women about five minutes before the regular race start um, and uh, and had the championship race. Um, uh, the winners were a guy named David Angel uh, from Virginia, I believe, uh, won the men's race. The women's race was won by a representative for the Atlanta Track Club, uh, Lori Knowles. Um, and then a lot of team titles were taken by the Atlanta Track Club as well. Uh, I got my picture made and shook hands with and spoke very briefly to Betty Lindbergh, uh, who was the winner of the 90-plus division. Um, she also won that division at the Peachtree Road Race this year. Uh, I told her I was a big fan. Um, but congratulations to, to the Atlanta Track Club, not only on their great performances as runners, but also as an organization for uh, winning the bid to, to get this uh, important race in Atlanta. Um, and uh, and pulling it off. So congrats and work well done to uh, Rich Kana and the rest of that crew. Without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into this episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Coaching Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta. We appreciate your being with us once again this week. Patrick, welcome back. Good to be here. Tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about this week. Well, today we're going to talk about speed workouts and we're going to talk about the different types of speed workouts and how they fit into a training program for endurance athletes. That's marathoners, um, cyclists, swimmers, and triathletes. And we're going to talk about you know the different speed workouts that are out there, give you some examples and some tips on how you can incorporate them into your own training schedule. Um, and we're doing that because one of the big questions we get from a lot of athletes is, you know, marathoners specifically, I would say, is why do we spend so much time you know running at our, faster than our goal pace? You know, why do we spend so much time? you know, running harder than, you know, maybe our, our goal race pace in these longer events like the Ironman or, or, or the marathon. So today we're going to start to answer that question and we're going to give you some, some example workouts, you know, to try to provide some context for how speed wor- workout fits into, you know, training programs and so the listeners can better understand, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and what, what the method is behind the madness. Right on, right on. Um, and so as you're listening, folks, you might actually be thinking, too, about, okay, why is it that you do some of these things? I mean, I I coach Ironman athletes who, uh, during the winter, I have, and actually throughout the course of their training cycle, I have doing repeats at 200% of their FTP, right, which is basically a sprint for 20 seconds. And, and rightfully and understandably so, they'll often kind of come back and say, well, why am I sprinting like this when... I should not be sprinting in an Ironman. And they're right. They shouldn't be sprinting in an Ironman. Um, you know, and likewise, it, they, they even feel more that way when it comes to, to running. They, they say, well, you know, running in an Ironman sometimes is just barely faster than you're going out and running on a regular old long run. Um, why is it that I need to be doing repeats at mile pace or 5K pace or something like that? Um, it's a legitimate question, frankly. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's one that I think that particularly people who come from outside or haven't grown up 
inside of endurance sports haven't grown up doing speed work as just sort of part of what they did in high school cross country practice. Um, I do think something that it, it is something that, that doesn't entirely make sense. Absolutely. Because when you think about it, you know, it doesn't make intuitive sense, right? In, right. in most things in life, you practice, you know, race day or game day, you know, and I would say, you know, or you practice, you know, exactly, you're trying to mimic, you know, the, the actions of game day, so to speak. Um, you know, in other sports, you know, you swing a baseball bat a thousand times or something like that in practice. Right. You try to, to mimic that exact uh, movement. But this is a little bit different because, you know, in, in training for an endurance sport, you're not trying to build muscle memory. You're not trying to mimic exactly how you're going to feel um, or exactly what the marathon is going to be. Instead, you're trying to tap into to physiological buckets. You're trying to kind of instill um, a stimulus that will cause a physiological reaction within your body that will provide you with greater tools or, or greater resources to, to run fast or run well or, or, or race well on race day. Right on. You know, it kind of reminds me, I, I, was, I was listening to our podcast from last week, I guess it was, when uh, you were saying that, what was your girlfriend's mom said, you know, what does he talk about in an endurance sports podcast? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's kind of like that, too, because I think a lot of people who come into endurance sports, um, even if they're coming in to do, you know, they want to run the New York City Marathon or they, they, they want to do an Ironman or whatever it happens to be, even if they come into to the sport, um, you know, with big, lofty, competitive, ambitious goals, um, they, they think that, well, I don't really need to do short, fast stuff. Um, right. That that all they need to do is is do something very specific to what it is they they plan to be doing in that big huge race, and that is important. Don't get me wrong. I mean, specificity is a, is a bedrock principle of uh, of any sort of endurance training. Um, just this week, as a matter of fact, uh, on our Facebook page, you might have seen we had uh, a listener uh, who I happen to coach. Also, um, she shared an article about how men's there's a big research project uh that was just recently re- released where men, on men's and women's cyclists and yes. about how women's cycling races tend to be shorter and more intense mm-hmm. um and and what the article was questioning then is should we therefore train women in a different way than we train men since women's races tend to be shorter and more intense and uh, and we had a good conversation about it and and i won't go too deep into it right now but um you don't train for people for a 5K the same way you train them for a marathon. And right. So, and so, anyway, the point of, of, of all this is to say that, that Patrick and I were inspired to, to broach this topic not by the people that were training to run 5Ks and 10Ks mm-hmm. um, or to do sprint triathlons, uh, but rather the people who are doing those really long events that take all morning or all day um, and, and are mostly done at, at what we would not call a fast pace those folks questions about why they're doing fast stuff exactly um so today we're going to walk through kind of as a as a form of discussion you know what are speed workouts and go through different types of speed workouts to talk about you know how they fit into a training schedule and and how to execute them properly this episode is taking a bit of a different format because we're kind of just um you know previewing what we're going to talk about and then then going right into it so it's almost well, so, like it's almost like a flashback to uh, the five paragraph essay in in, in high school. <laughs> That's right. So so we, we've hit you with the thesis statement. So yeah. you, want, you want you want to get body paragraph number one here, Patrick? Um, uh, sure. Uh, so I'll just start off by saying, you know, we haven't. The first thing we probably need to do is is define what a speed workout is. Um, and to us, a speed workout can be defined simply as running hard for a purpose. Okay. So and the reason. That sounds very simple, but it, it, that has two basic parts. One, it's running hard or training hard you know, for, for cyclists um, and swimmers. Uh, it's not necessarily running fast because, I mean, who, who knows you know, what fast really is. Fast to one person is, is different to fast to the, to the other. Yeah, we were, I recorded a whole episode on the whole idea of fast and slow and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, keep going. And then second, it's with a purpose. You're not just flailing about, but there is a purpose behind a given pace. Right. Um, you know, your coaches have, you know, if they've written a workout for you, they've given you a certain pace for a certain reason. It may seem too fast. It may seem too slow, but there is a, a purpose. They're trying to drive some kind of change, some kind of physiological adaptation, or maybe even some kind of mental hurdle that they want to kind of put in front of you so that you can start to break down those barriers and start to become a stronger athlete. Right on. Right on. Um, yeah, I, I would add, too, kind of on that first point, um, you know, the whole fast, slow thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found, and maybe we'll circle back around to this a little bit in context as we go through our five-paragraph essay here, um, that, that 
a lot of folks um, um, tend to think that speed work is only speed work or it only counts if you're running a certain speed, like like a very precise speed. Like it only counts if you're running faster than six minute pace. I see. Um, or, or faster than eight minute pace or something like that. Then, right. then at that point, it's not speed work. Um, and, I, and I've seen there, there's sort of two ripple effects of this and, and they come at it from different directions. One, I've seen people who, who will think that because their speed work, because the prescribed speed for them is nine minutes per mile, um, they'd be like, well, that's not really speed work. That's not really all that fast. And so it's not really going to benefit me to run nine minutes uh-huh. a mile any more than it would for me just to go out and do my regular 1030 per mile for my, my distance runs. Right. right. Um, that, that you're only really getting the benefits of speed work if you're running, you know, six minute pace or faster than eight minute pace or something like that. Right. Not true. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Second thing is I've also found that, that fast people sometimes think they're, they're running fast enough, even when they're not. Um, and so, so, and, and this is something I've actually noticed on the side of the track before. Yes. Um, that, that people will say, oh, well, I'm running these repeats at eight minute pace. I mean, they're supposed to be, you know, 5k, 5k effort repeats and, and I'm running at eight minute pace and that's fast enough. I mean, I'm talking and messing around and doing all sorts of fun stuff throughout them. I'm not really working all that hard, but it's fast enough because it's eight minute pace. Well, it's not really 5k effort. Right. You know, it's if, if your 5k effort, if, if your true 5k effort is probably a little bit faster than that. So there's some people that kind of settle for for a slower pace than they probably should be because they think it's fast enough. Um, and so given that, uh, given that those two phenomena, both of which I've witnessed as a coach, um, I think it's important to say here at the outset, as Patrick did, um, that, that speed work is a very relative thing. We're just talking about you running faster than you would if you just went out for a jog one afternoon. Right. You're definitely not running at a comfortable, easy pace, you know, like a long run, an easy run or a medium long run. Right. Um, you're running to stimulate a physiological adap- adaptation and prepare your legs and your mind to run your goal race. Right. Um, a, a few more caveats we probably need to point out or maybe parameters, so to speak. Um, speed workouts can be, you know, as short as 10 or 50 yard striders. Mm-hmm. They can be as long as, you know, five one mile repeats or six one mile repeats. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, to your, I think you, you talked about how it's not necessarily a given speed. It's also not necessarily a given distance, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, now, from a physiological perspective, there's kind of two subcategories of physiological changes that we're trying to drive, you know, when we're doing speed work. Um, first, it's improving economy, mm-hmm. right? And second, it's improving aerobic power, or what some would call VO2 max, mm-hmm. um, and we discussed both of those physiological buckets in our Elements of Endurance episode. I think that was like episode 30 or so, and where we kind of got into the nitty-gritty of, of what you know, physiological changes we're yeah. trying to drive in training. But those are kind of the two big buckets you can break down um, sp- you know, speed workout into when looking at what you're trying to improve and what you're trying to drive. And then, and then to that, I would also add those mental benefits. Correct. Um, and so mental benefits kind of underlie everything. Whenever we talk about physical benefits, you should also consider mental, mental benefits. Um, you know, running at a fast pace makes that, that regular pace feel easier, um, and that's important. It makes it feel comfortable, and that's important. Um, beyond the, the, the benefits to your economy, the benefits to your efficiency, um, and, of course, the benefits to your power, to your high-end speed, um, those mental benefits are important as well. So we'll kind of circle back around to those a lot as well. I, I think that's a great way to put it. If you want kind of an an overarching thesis, potentially, it's that you know speed work. You know what it really does is it allows the athlete to 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 run at a at a given pace with a little bit less effort. Right. Right. right? It's by kind of increasing that the top end speed, so to speak. Um, you're kind of inc- increasing that efficiency with with which you can run at a seventy percent heart rate. Yeah, and and you know as as I've said on here before. Um, the faster you can you can do a mile, the faster you can do a 5K. The faster you can 5K, the faster you can do a 10K. The faster you can do a 10K, the faster you can do a 20K. The faster you can do a 20K, the faster you can do a marathon. Um, the same holds true for cycling. Um, mm-hmm. Now, swimming is a little bit weird. Swimming is a little bit different. It, it confounds a lot of people who come from the world of running and, and, and cycling. We'll kind of digress into swimming a little bit as we go along here as well. Uh, but certainly there, there, there's a mental benefit to that as well. Um, that, it, that if you can do the short things fast, you can do the longer things faster as well. Yeah, excellent. All right, so let's talk about the uh, kind of the first bucket, so to speak, uh, and that's economy. Um, so, you know, 
when looking at running economy workouts specifically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to improve your form and kind of help your, yourself run fast while using less energy, mm-hmm. right? If you think about you know what running economy is, it's essentially the ability to transfer energy into efficient movement, right? Um, so these workouts are, you know, they tend not to be as kind of um, intense as maybe the the VO2 you know, aerobic power workouts that maybe ha- we have are more running around the track. We're doing mile repeats, 400 meter repeats, etc. But what you are trying to do is just make your body more efficient as you run, mm-hmm. right? Um, right? And you're kind of trying to improve your form in a bit more of a passive manner. Because mm-hmm. um, as we've talked about before, running is not something where you can say, all right, you know, change the way your, your stride looks. You, you know, it's not quite like throwing a ball where you, you can really kind of change the way your, your muscles interact and the way you kind of... Um, release the ball, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So in running economy workouts, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to recruit the neuromuscular tendons, ligaments, and muscle power outputs, outputs, excuse me, that simulate hard, a hard mile or or hard 5k running without kind of putting the stress of a hard, you know, track workout, right? So we're just trying to fine tune everything. So all the muscles are firing off appropriately. And, you know, we're not trying to build the engine, so to speak, in the car. We're just trying to let the car run smooth, smoothly with the same horsepower. Right, right. Yeah, it's the same in cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so and we'll talk about some specific workouts here in just a second. But it's the same thing in cycling. Um, you're smoothing out your pedal stroke. Yes. Um, um, you're you're uh, forging that connection between your brain and your feet that will ensure mm-hmm. that, that you're pedaling in full circles, uh, things like that. Um your body needs to know how to to move quickly it needs to know how to move efficiently and safely and and with a with a small amount of power and that's something that that can in fact be trained now again um uh as patrick and i talked about i think just last week um that, that potentially this all runs together yeah yeah no i, I think it was just last week when we were talking about all, it was when we were talking about all the biomechanical data that was released from the IAAF um and and we were talking about how there's no one perfect stride you know, mm-hmm. um, and so if anybody tries to say, oh, well, there's this one perfect stride. And so what we're trying to do is to, to make you more efficient by having you run like Craig Alexander runs or like Miranda Carfrey runs um, or like Mark Allen runs or whoever it is. Um, or like how George Darden runs. Yeah, no. Uh, even though I, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, OK, so actually, actually a really good point because because I do run very efficiently, but nobody would ever watch me run and say, oh, I want to run like that. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, because I, I do think I'm a pretty efficient runner. At least I was at one time. I think that, that some of the muscular changes that have happened in my body over the course of the past few years have, have maybe compromised my efficiency a little bit. But I, I, I am a pretty efficient runner. Um, but nobody would look at me and be like, wow, look at that beautiful stride he's got. You know, mm-hmm. he looks like Patrick Lang. You know, I, no, nobody would think that when they, when they watched me run. Um, and so I, they, I wouldn't appear to be efficient. Um, but, but I am a fairly efficient runner. Um, and it's, it's from years of doing workouts and years of running and my body kind of working it out. But just this week, um, like we had, we had literally just released our podcast and I went someplace and, uh, and somebody was talking about how, you know, doing pose running and you did. And I was like, and and they said to me, have you ever heard of that? I said, yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. (laughs) I haven't engaged in it. Yeah. I said, yeah, I've heard of it. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah. So anyway, um, uh, the macro point here about, about efficiency is that, that, that you do want to be and you should try to be an efficient runner. Um, but, but the way to go about doing it is by doing workouts that, that will, will increase your economy, not by, by trying to, to uh, consciously change your stride to, to match your vision or someone else's vision uh, of, of what an efficient runner is. Yeah, that's correct. You almost... I always think of it as you're almost kind of embarrassing your body into being a bit more efficient, right? Because, you know, by by putting a little bit of stress on your body, it does adapt and change. So let's talk about the first kind of workout that we have to, or that we use with an ITL to, um, you know, improve economy. And that is uh, the infamous stride workout. Yes. So um, let's talk about strides and how those, you know, um, you know, do help us improve economy and, and why they're beneficial. So first, let's start, I guess, by defining what a stride is. Um, So a stride essentially is a a sub-maximal sprint. So it's running at about 85 to 90% of your maximum sprint speed. So you're not doing wind sprints like at the end of soccer practice or something. 
you know, but you are trying to get to very, very close to your top speed. You're not running to first base. Correct. Yeah. Um, now, I will say this, too. Most marathoners, or in my opinion, a lot of marathoners will actually find it difficult to get to that 85 to 90% speed mm-hmm. without kind of falling apart because you are trying to run very close to all out without being all out, so to speak, right? Yeah. Like when you're gunning towards first base, you're, you know, your veins are popping out of your forehead and you're really kind of you know, gunning for the gold and, and grunting and making all kinds of noises. This is a bit more controlled than that. You yeah. want to go to, like I said, about that 90%. Yeah, I, I often will f- refer to it as a controlled sprint. That's it. Yes, I yeah. like that phrase. Um, and and I we only do it about fifty yards at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I do ef- effectively, what are strides on a bicycle? Mm-hmm. Um, when I tell people to do strides on a bicycle, um, they do uh, eighteen to twenty four second sprints, usually twenty second sprints. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, and you get full recovery between each one. You know, they end up doing like three or four minutes of just sort of regular riding between mm-hmm. each one, uh, and they're about one hundred and eighty to two hundred percent of FTP. Mm-hmm. Uh, a functional threshold power um and you know again someone in an ironman is going to use about 70 percent or 71 percent of ftp and and here to do these to increase your economy we're talking about doing sprints at 180 to 200 percent of your ftp so that's obviously much faster much harder but you're not doing it for very long um and it's going right. to increase your your economy over time Right, which really starts to become a you know a, a big deal when you talk about improving your economy by even one percent of a long distance race. Yeah. Um, and and like I said, like we talked about before, the point isn't necessarily to move at a fast speed, right? The the quote unquote winner of the stride workout isn't the person that crosses the line first. Right. There's no winner of a stride workout. You, what you're trying to do is you're trying to you know build your stride length, um, work on kind of that explosion off the ground. You know when your your feet are trying to propel off the ground. And, you know, just kind of improve the efficiency with which your, your legs really kind of turn over um, in a way that, that's quick, but, but also not putting a lot of stress on your legs. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're designed to get you faster while also, provid- excuse me, while also not, you know, kind of building up much fatigue. Right. Right. So they're getting you faster without kind of the stress of like a 400 meter repeat workout, et cetera. Right. Right. Uh, very good. Yeah. Um, you know, now what is it I want to say here? The, the swimming is, is basically all about economy. Yeah. Um, and so swimmers, um, when they get in the pool, very rarely will ever do repeats more than about 600 yards. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of blows the mind sometimes of a lot of people who are preparing for really long distance swims, like Ironmans, for example. Right. Um, People who come from, particularly people who come from a running background, in order to prepare for a 2.4 mile swim, will often want to just go out and just swim these long, easy distances, right? And 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 they kind of think that okay, that's how I'm best going to prepare. Um, but swimming, unlike running and unlike cycling, the most important thing is economy, um, and without a doubt, you know, there might be some people inside the running community or inside the cycling community that say that, okay, the, the economy of your pedal stroke or the economy of your running stride is the most important thing, but those people are in the minority. Yeah, um, like um, a very small yeah. minority, yeah. Where, whereas it is an overwhelming majority of people, if not literally a unanimous opinion inside the swimming community, right. that economy is the most important thing. Um, and so, so even long distance swimmers who are, who are going out and training for the 10 K open water Olympic swim are doing repeats, uh, as short as, as 100 meters, 50 meters, things like that, uh, on a regular, almost daily basis. Um, because economy is such an important part of, of the swimming process. They yeah. get the volume, they get the endurance by just doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Um, But a key component for them is not allowing their their stride to break down or their their stroke to break down. Um, As we talked about last week, in running and to some degree in cycling, um, your stroke, uh, your your pedal stroke or your your stride, you expect that to break down a little bit. It's going to break down a little bit. You should work and train, do strides and that sort of thing in order to try and keep that happening. But but there's a degree to which it's inevitable in running and cycling. In swimming... It's all about economy, and you, you want to do everything you can in order to make sure your st- your your stroke is always as economical as possible. And, and that makes sense, given that in in swimming you're moving through water, right? In cycling and running you're moving through air, so right. it, it really changes the math. Water is a little bit more dense than, than air. Yeah, just just a little. <laughs> in yes. Georgia in the summertime, sometimes it doesn't feel yeah, that way. <laughs> great point. I think at Kennesaw last weekend, yeah. uh, we we may have um, made a counter to that point. Yeah, uh, yeah and that's why I. I 
you know, I'm obviously not a, not a big swimmer or anything, but I do feel that when I talk to swimmers, they'll tell you, all right, once my form breaks down, the workout needs to end. Right. Whereas a runner, it's more like, okay, well, that means right. you're 80% of the way through. Yeah. Roughly. Exactly. So very good. Now, when do you usually prescribe strides? Um, so I usually prescribe strides like throughout the course of the season and throughout mm-hmm. the course of the year, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, like my athletes never stop doing strides. Um, they'll, they'll do them. They'll do them in the winter. They'll do them in the transition season. They'll do them uh, immediately prior to races. They'll do them like all throughout the course of the year. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about it in terms of of periodization, there's never not a time to work on your economy. Right. There there are certain times throughout the course of the year when it's okay to allow um, your fitness to dip, and you should, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 okay to allow your your uh, your max VO2 to fall a little bit, your FTP to fall a little bit, something like that. Um, but throughout the course of the year, you should always be doing things to maintain your economy. Um, and so there's never a time when I'm not having them work on economy. Now, in terms of having like specific long workouts that are expressly dedicated to economy, um, where they're doing a lot of pedaling um, at, or at very, very high intensities or doing a lot of running at very, very high intensities – um, for long distance athletes, I do those very early. Um, you know, periodization, and we've talked about this before, is kind of the process of, of getting more and more and more specific as you get closer and closer and closer to your race. Um, and, and because these sorts of workouts are not necessarily the most specific, I end up doing them pretty far away from the race. Um, we do little bits of them throughout the entire cycle, but, but, um, the workouts that where we're entirely focused on economy for an entire hour, um, I'd end up doing those, those predominantly those pretty early on in the training cycle. What about you? Uh, I would say the same. Um, you know, we, we talked about how they, they really don't add much, you know, accumulated fatigue or, you know, lactic accumulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really can be used year round. Um, especially if you're a, a consistent runner or a consistent athlete who's training year round. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can use them regardless of where you are in the macro cycle, regardless of what type of race you're training for or what you're coming back from. Um, and so it's interesting. A lot of folks don't see strides on maybe a generic running schedule, like mm-hmm. that maybe they downloaded from the internet. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of become a staple of a lot of our schedules here at ITL, um, because when you're holding that controlled speed for such a short time, it really kind of forces your body to run with greater efficiency. And it can be tacked on at the end of easy days. Mm-hmm. It can be tacked on, you know, um, even at the end of maybe a medium long run. Mm-hmm. And it can really kind of provide a lot of benefits without kind of the the physiological or psychological stress mm-hmm. of some of these other workouts we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I don't I don't give my athletes, my runners or my my triathletes, I don't give my athletes a run that doesn't have strides in it. Right. Except for a hard workout. If a hard, if you're doing a hard workout, you're doing plenty of hard running throughout the course of the workout. You don't need the need to do <laughs> Oh, strides. you should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I don't give them strides then. Now I I will say you need to do some strides as part of your warm up. Um, but, but I won't say that that they need to do strides at the end of that. Right. Um, but, but no, at the end of every single easy run, I have them doing strides and, and I do that myself. Uh, if they start complaining that, that it's too psychologically difficult to, once you're done with a run and you're at your house, particularly if it's raining or something like that, um, I'll say work them in, in the last mile. You know, you've got to yes. run that last mile anyway. Um, so just, you know, run run a 50-yard stride, then slow down and keep on jogging, then run another 50. Just work them in the last mile um, because it does the same thing. It, it's effectively the same as getting to the end of the run and, and then doing it that way. Um, and I just want to say I have done that many times before because maybe I've cut it too close if I had an appointment after yeah. the run. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, all right, how can we cut out five minutes or so here? I, I do it that way. I did it yesterday, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I do it that way when I'm running on the treadmill. Um, because on the treadmill, you can't just, you know, stop and run, you know, you can't do that. And so, so over the course of the last five or six minutes, I'm on the treadmill, I'll do 20 seconds on at basically the treadmill's top speed and, and then do, do like a minute and 40 seconds of just a really easy job. Um, and that's the same thing. It's accomplishing that stride. It's, it's, it's work on that economy here at the end of a, of a run. Yeah. And, and to, to kind of add a, a, a bit more clarification here we generally recommend like four to six strides or so yeah about know. 50 yards a piece and about 50 yards a piece so mm-hmm. also if, if you're just kind of running on the roads and maybe you're, you're finishing up a workout it's you know 10 to 15 seconds long yeah you know yeah um none yeah. of us are usain bolt at the end of an easy run yeah. no and i also say um you could do it you could do it as as uh, 50 steps if you want 
You know, I, sometimes if people are doing them on the road, I say, just do 50 steps. You know, I have people who aren't good at dead reckoning, aren't good at saying, oh, okay, that's 50 yards away. So just count your steps, kind of kind of gradually speed up and count 40 or 50 steps and then slow back down and get full recovery and, and, and do another one about that same distance. That's right. You make a great point with the full recovery. You know, we're not trying to accumulate lactic acid or generate lactic acid development or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to get you fit, so to speak. We're just trying to get you to open up and work on the kind of the neuromuscular recruitment that comes from sprinting mm-hmm. or near sprinting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it's just 50 to 70 yards at a time, 10 to 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. It should not be mentally taxing. It's almost hard to remember more than anything else. <laughs> my, um, my, my cyclists, um, when, when, when you have cyclists that will go out and do really, really long rides, of course, um, and, and those are an important part of building your endurance. But if, if a lot of times if I have cyclists just doing sort of a routine ride throughout the course of the week, um, all of my all of the athletes on my roster are very familiar with a trainer road workout called Shasta um, because it's an hour-long workout and it has seven 20-second sprints in it. Um, and so it's effectively one 20-second sprint every five minutes after the warm-up. Um, and they're all familiar with that because they've all done it scores of times. Um, yeah. I feel bad sometimes putting it on there, and I try and mix it up and make it more fun. And I have one athlete that I call it a Shasta party every Friday night. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but it's it's the same it's the same workout um, because it's just it's just a good straightforward, not very taxing, easy ride. But it but it, but it puts a lot of that that economic work in there. Very similar to the infamous strides and curves workout. Absolutely. Ins that we prescribe outs. at the track. Ins where and it's outs. 10 to 12 laps where you're running a stride on the straightaway and then running super easy on the curve. Exactly. So exactly. E- easy, easy to remember, easy to execute. Um, you know, you don't need to be rigid with form or anything of that nature, but you're just trying to be smooth, relaxed, and move fluidly. Right on. So, all right. Anything you want to add about striders? Do them at the end of your long runs. I've mm-hmm. said that over and over and over again. That's that's the one the one piece of advice that I always give people if they ask me for one piece of advice: strides at the end of your long run. Yeah. yeah. And then one other thing too, I want to add is uh, if you are doing strides at the end of like your run, like the final mile or so, do be cognizant of whether or not you're running uphill or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, and, and and I mean, the the reason for for at the end of the long run is that's when you want to be working on your economy. If 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 you're somebody who's training for a long race, you want to be working on your economy when you're tired. Um, because that's when you want your body to be economical. Um, when you're tired, when it's getting late in the race, you don't want to just completely fall apart and be, be totally uneconomical. When you're fatigued is when you really want your body to flip into that, that more economical place. Um, that's what you want to hardwire in. Um, and so, so that's the reason why I'm always, you know, strides in the long run, strides in the long run. I'm always, always, always saying that. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I get it. It's hard to make yourself do them. <laughs> right you know patrick and i when we go on long runs together we hold each other accountable on that because it's hard to make yourself do them right especially if you've already stopped gotten a drink of water but oh, yeah. they're they're worth it or if it's hot and the long run hasn't gone all that well i mean i get it yeah all right so i think that's all we had for striders right. um so the kind of the second kind of piece that we have under running economy or the second kind of type of workout we have to, to improve your running economy are pickups Mm-hmm. All right, good old pickups. I know you are um, you kind of you pre- you prescribe a lot of pickup workouts, um, and as do I. So to kind of give some folks some backgrounds who maybe are new to to what they are, pickups happen in the middle of an easy run, right. so to speak. So it's it a lot of times it'll be something like a one hour easy run, and you'll you'll prescribe all right two two minute pickups at the twenty minute and forty minute mark, right? right? Maybe at the twenty minute mark, the twenty four minute mark. Yeah. 40-minute mark, 44-minute mark. Or like a one-minute pickup every 10 minutes. There you go. So at the 10, at the 20, at the 30, at the 40, at the 50, you do one-minute 5K pace, something like that. Right, and they're a great way to kind of incorporate a change of pace into a workout. Yeah. Um, You're not not getting to this strider rate, you know, Mm -hmm. speed. You're not getting to 90% Mm -hmm. of a a sprint or anything of that nature. But they're usually one to three minutes long. Um, You know, we drop them into 40 to 80-minute runs. And it's just a good way to kind of sprinkle some faster running throughout the workout, Mm -hmm. right? It's very similar to striders. What you're trying to do is you're trying to increase efficiency of movement. You're trying to kind of, without putting much stress on the runner's legs, you know, or their, you know, mental sanity, right? Um, So they're designed to kind of help you run faster after you've warmed up, after you've already run for 15 or 20 minutes, to gradually pick up to where you're running quicker and quicker, you know, maybe you're starting at marathon pace and then you're gradually speeding up 
and peaking at 10k pace or whatever the prescribed you know pace may be. Um, now I can tell you one of the, the benefits that I've found with with pickups, especially with advanced runners or with runners who have run together with a certain group for a while, is you know sometimes there can be a tendency to take easy runs too fast if you're comfortable with the group you're with. Mm. But if you drop in some pickups, maybe at the 20 and 40 minute mark. Folks are going to be a little more weary to take it out fast those first 20 minutes or so. Right on. I hadn't even thought about that, but, yeah, that's totally a benefit. Um, yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, I think I have an athlete that I coach um, who's a triathlete and has done some running events as well, and her favorite workout is is 60-minute with some two-minute pickups in it. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason why she likes it so much is because um, – the two minutes break up the monotony of the run itself. Right. Um, and so, so it gives her, kind of, she has something to kind of look forward to and they come just often enough to where, to where she doesn't feel worn out by it. Kind of like we we're talking about here. This is not, you know, a workout that's supposed to wipe you out. Um, and, and they're not so long that, that they, they're really, really difficult that they're, they're kind of fun. You right. Know? Um, and, and, um, I think it also makes her feel better about like, you know, what you're saying, it makes her feel better about the whole rest of the run. You know, right? That, that she's like, oh, you know, everything else just feels so slow. No, 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 no. She doesn't worry about that because she gets to these pickups and she's like, okay, that's you know, I get to run fast at the twenty minutes, forty minute mark. Um, and so, so yeah, that's her favorite part. That's her favorite workout of all the ones that I give. Um, yeah. That that that's a great point. You know, a couple of things. One, you, as you mentioned, they're not designed to initiate large physiological adaptations. They're not long tempo runs, long runs, or speed sessions. They're just kind of designed to kind of help you open up in the middle of a long run or, right. or of, a, of an easy run, so to speak. Right. Um, and so from a mental perspective, it gives you something to look forward to. I yeah. think a lot of runners enjoy running fast. Just yeah. like a lot of cyclists look forward to cycling fast. Right. Um, but yeah, it's not quite I, yeah. like a, you know, long six mile repeat workout yeah. where you're dreading. Yeah. Like most the, of the you day. Know, a gut wrenching 10 by three minute workout or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I, yeah, I mentioned Shasta a minute ago. I do Shasta a lot myself on Trainer mm-hmm. Road, the, the, the seven 20-second sprints on, on the bike um, because that is far more entertaining and engaging than just an hour of riding at 72%. Yes. You know, I mean, I will get bored out of my skull, and, I, and I've done it before, but, I mean, it's so boring to sit there and just pedal away at one particular intensity just for a really long time on the indoor bike. Uh, it just gets really, really boring. But if you're sprinting every twenty every every um, five minutes, it gives you a nice boost. It gives you something to look forward to. It it, it snaps you out of this sort of the these you know the doldrums of boredom that, that that are so easy to slide into sometimes when you're riding inside. Yeah, that, that's that's certainly a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, all right. What else? All right. Th- that's all I really had for uh, for pickups. Oh, okay. one other quick note: if you are running with people. Make sure you announce to the others if you're doing pickups. <laughs> so, so, so they'll know whether or not to stick around. Yeah, I, I yeah. definitely once was uh, w- running with some of our ITLers, and one guy took off, and I was just like, well, Mr. Prefontaine here is going for the gold. <laughs> I knew what was up when he turned around and was like, hey, yeah. it's like, so make sure you uh, announce to your buddies if you, if you are actually doing a pickup. Right on. Um, but that was all I had for the running economy workouts. Yeah. Well, what about like hill strides? Ah uh, yes, hill strides. I guess we never quite talked about that. Yeah. Um. So they are obviously a little different than doing striders on on flat ground. Mm-hmm. Um. You know. Well, actually, you know what? Talking about hill strides will actually be like a nice bridge workout because because they build they build high end power as well, right? Um, exactly. So I think what you're saying is we didn't forget. We're just transitioning it nicely. That's right. Yeah. Um. So to, to talk about uh, hill striders, you know, some folks, you know, who especially maybe if you're running a downhill marathon. Um, or if you're maybe running a hilly marathon, may find it v- beneficial to do hill strides. Now, that's not quite the same as doing hill repeats where you're trying to kind of put in that VO2 max effort going up the hill and really kind of, you know, put the pedal to the metal and kind of rev that engine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But you're just running a stride up the hill or down the hill, depending on um, which one you're trying to train for. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, a couple kind of quick notes. First, it is definitely better to have a hill that's too shallow than too steep. When doing hill striders, because once again, you're not trying to put a lot of stress on your body and really kind of rev that engine. You're just trying to ha- kind of improve your body's efficiency of running downhill or running uphill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, whereas I would say another kind of caveat to think about is, whereas striders on flat ground is something you do year round and you do after easy runs and medium long runs and long runs. I think hill striders are probably not something you should do year round. Yeah, I and it's that. definitely not something you should do 
um, you know, when you're close to your race day or, you know, close to your A race. And it's probably something you should just do kind of at the beginning of a transition period or early in the training cycle yeah. to kind of start to build that efficiency. Now, to be clear, a hill strider is basically just, as, he, as, as Patrick mentioned, it's a controlled sprint, it's a stride, a, a stride uh, that you do up the side of a, of, of a hill. Right. Um, it's only about 10 seconds long. And so when you think about like a, a hill repeats workout, you're going to be running up the side of a hill repeats workout. You're going to run for about a minute probably uh, up a hill. For for a hill stride, you're only going to be going for about 10 to 12 seconds here. Correct. Um, and so so you're not going to be like bent over, huffing and puffing, and just barely crawling back down the hill uh, when you get up to the to, to the top. Uh, that's not the way you do a hill stride. You basically do 10 seconds up. 10 seconds pretty hard, and then you just turn around, and you just kind of walk down, you catch your breath out of the bottom, and you do it again. Yeah. Um, strides up the side of a hill there. Um, and, and those those do the same thing. They, they can help you build efficiency. Um, but they also, as Patrick suggests here, they, they start to tap into some of those, those, uh, some of the power building a little bit. Um, and, and by virtue of that, they're a little bit more draining than just doing strides, but they also have a little bit more benefit. And therefore they also provide a nice bridge between talking about things that boost your economy and things that boost your power. Right. And so, I mean, it, one way to think of it is, you know, hills are kind of speed work in disguise, although not a great disguise if you've ever done a hill repeat. Um, and hill strides are as well. So, you know, that's why we like to use them early on to ease folks into the more intense speed work or the intense work, uh, hill work that's coming a bit later right um, in their training. Right All right. So speaking of transitioning, let's talk about aerobic power. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of recap from, from many moons ago when we talked about kind of the elements of endurance. You know, when looking at aerobic power, some would call it VO2 max. And that and workouts that are geared towards building your VO2 max that are geared towards building your aerobic power, um, they generally incorporate speeds ranging from about the one mile to five k pace, mm-hmm. or potentially ten k pace. You know, yeah. depending on on the individual. Yeah. Um, but these are some of the fastest workouts you'll have as a distance runner, and, like and, specific workouts. Yeah, and, and for cyclists, that's about one hundred ten percent to about one hundred fifty percent of FTP. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so so you're, you're talking about stuff that's that's hard. Yeah, and, and, and you're talking about repeats that aren't super long here, 110% to 150% of, of, of your functional threshold power. For swimmers, that's like uh, zone 4, zone 5, zone 3, okay. zone 4, zone 5 stuff, yeah. So, you know, let's, we, let's talk briefly about kind of what that means um, and what we mean by aerobic power. So in, in layman's terms, when we talk about aerobic power, what we're talking about is we're trying to ensure that we get a maximum amount of oxygen to the working muscles so we can use that oxygen when we're running fast. Um, so the VO2 workouts, the, the aerobic power workouts are generally pretty intense and they require a maximal amount of effort because it's really trying to see how your body reacts under a great amount of stress. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to extend your max, right? If you're trying to push back a wall, so to speak, you got to really exert a lot of effort. Um, now it can be modulated by the amount of recovery, the number of reps, the length of each rep, things of that nature. But in general, it does tend to be, you know, speeds within, you know, a mile to 5K pace, potentially 10K pace. And usually the reps equal about two to five miles, maybe, mm-hmm. in terms of total distance. Mm-hmm. And to kind of continue on, the more you stress the, the, that aerobic power, um, the better your body will be able to get oxygen into your muscles while you're trying to run fast. You know, usually when people start to get that feeling of rigor mortis when they're running, you know, things start locking up, things not working quite as well. What's happening is they're running out of oxygen or their their body's not able to get enough oxygen to those working muscles. So what happens is those muscles start to produce another form of energy called lactate. And the body can use that lactate for a short amount of time, but it does kind of build up over time and it starts to build up in your bloodstream. And that's when things start to to lock up, and you start to feel cattywampus, so to speak, in your running. Um, there is there's Patrick's eighty uh, year old man term for the week here. That there you go, exactly. Cat, cattywampus. So that's really what we're trying to avoid, right? That's if, if you want a tagline for for your next track workout, it's let's avoid cattywampus. Avoid the cattywampus. Yeah. Um. So for distance runners, that's working on your ability to run faster and more efficiently over shorter distance, over the 800 meters, over the mile, over the 5K. Um, it's working on that aerobic power or that VO2 max throughout your training so that you can start to um, you know, push back that max and kind of help your body you know, 
build a greater ability to get that those that oxygen to your working muscles um, yeah, there, there's the, the paces that we're talking about here, 5K pace, 10K pace, these are not paces that you can run for all day. These, 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 are, not, these are not paces that you can run for you know an hour here. Um, we're, we're talking about a, a pretty serious amount of effort mm-hmm. um, that, that you're having to, to put in in order to be able to, to get the benefits that, that Patrick's describing here. Um, and I think a lot of folks that, that um, are, are training for long races um, – half Ironman, Ironman, uh, training for marathons or half marathons are really uncomfortable with this type of discomfort. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a different kind of pain. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and I, I think that, that a lot of people, if, when I, when I put these sorts of workouts on their schedule or when they come to the track or something else like that, and, and I, and I prescribe them to do these things, they'll run harder than they might have run otherwise, but 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 they're a little bit nervous to get into that really really difficult place that you need to get in order to to capitalize or, on these sorts of workouts. Um, I can appreciate that. I, I can see where you're coming from. They're still important. They're still worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, keep going. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. So so one, I I, I think it's because it's kind of hard to convince yourself. Like when you're running a marathon you shouldn't feel like you need to stop halfway through, mm-hmm. right? But when you're doing a VO2 max workout, a lot of times if you're doing like four one-mile repeats, mm-hmm. you're really dying about two miles in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be a little dis- that can be really disconcerting to somebody who's maybe used to just the longer stuff. Yeah. S- second, if so when we talk about like easy runs and, and long runs and medium-long runs, you know, one thing we stress over and over again is just get in the distance – and sacrifice pace if need be. Run a little bit slower. Just make sure you get in the distance. So that's kind of the mindset we hammer into a lot of marathoners, triathletes, etc. But in the these the VO2 max workouts and these aerobic power workouts, you got to hit your pace. That's what's important. And so it's kind of weird that this is the one workout of the week or of you know or the one type of workout that really stresses pace over distance. You know, if you need to um, cut out one rep obviously not optimal but in a way preferable over you know running you know 15 seconds slower than 5k pace for a 5k pace workout yeah i i, I think it's also just a matter of, of preference um, yes and, and and just a matter of you know what are you comfortable with i i think that that most people who run a marathon are familiar with that sort of sweet burn that comes in the last 10k mm-hmm. um you know most people who who have run who have done an ironman they know what the last eight miles of the Ironman feels like, and and they they're accustomed to that sort of that suffering. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And and so they're good they're good at that kind of of suffering, um, and they're not necessarily good at, or they don't really appreciate, it, or they just flat don't like the sort of suffering that takes place in a five k. Right. Um, I remember one time um, I was. Well, two things kind of spring to mind. One, a lot of times you'll hear people say, and I think I might have said this before on the podcast, you'll, you'll hear people say, oh, you just ran a 5K. That must have felt really easy after the marathon. Right. No, it doesn't. You know, or, oh, this is just a sprint triathlon. It must have felt easy after doing that Ironman. No, it doesn't. It feels really, really, really hard if you're doing it the right way. Right. Likewise, I know somebody who's done multiple Ironmans, who's done, who's done uh, uh, double Ironmans, um, you know, so literally twice the Ironman distance for the swim, bike, and run. Who said that that sprints are harder? Um, I I know people who do ultra events and they won't do a 5K because they don't like them because they don't like that kind of hurt. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so so yeah, for me, I kind of like all those types of hurt. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm weird in that regard. That, that I like the hurt of a marathon, but I also kind of like the hurt of a 5K too. You find all yeah. forms of exhaustion yeah. pleasant. Yeah. Nice, very nice, Patrick. I appreciate I'm getting that. good at this. Yeah, you are. Man, you're honing <laughs> your skills here after 60 episodes. Um, I'm but, a slow learner. But uh, but yeah, I I think that part of it too is that that a lot of people that that um, who prefer and like that sort of long distance um, grueling sort of effort, um, they they not only do not do they not see the value in those really short hard difficult things um but they also just flat don't want to do them yeah they, they, they just don't think it's fun yeah. yeah and i'll say this too it is a different mindset like i can tell you so oh, yeah. i you know i obviously ran 5ks in, in high school and college and did track workouts once or twice a week so i have plenty of reps under my belt but even as a marathoner now i feel like there's probably one or two track workouts a year 
where I'll finish and, and almost realize I didn't quite push it as hard as I needed to hmm. because it is still kind of in not quite as ingrained in, in your in your psyche just what it takes to really kind of burn through a 400 right um yeah and that's and another reason another thing too that I think is important to mention is for a lot of marathoners and triathletes you know they come to us and this kind of aerobic power or vo2 work is something they haven't really done before mm-hmm. right if you, if you a lot of the kind of the generic plans you get on the internet or, or maybe from from friends may be may stress the long run the easy run and just kind of mileage in general but this is something a lot of folks haven't worked on maybe since high school if they were soccer players or, or, or they ran cross country or something so I think that's why we at ITL kind of we stress it throughout the year now like good disciples of Lydiard we do you know adjust the the reps and the pace and the, and the duration based on where each runner is in their training cycle but it is a, a a training bucket that we like to tap into year round for that very reason. Yeah, it's low hanging fruit. Yeah, um, you know, if people have never done before, it's low hanging fruit. I mean, that is the marketing scheme of CrossFit in a nutshell. Yeah, is that that uh, of CrossFit endurance? Mm-hmm. Um, is that and and I people said it to me when I first went into the CrossFit gym multiple times that that oh hey you've done all this long kind of slow stuff in your career, but now you come here and do the hard stuff and you're really going to improve. Um, and I was telling you about this last week, Patrick, after I went, I, I didn't like people saying that to me because they were presuming that I'd never done the hard stuff. I've done, <laughs> I've done the hard stuff, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, you should have shown a picture of yourself on the Georgia <laughs> tech hall of fame. And then, and then, and you actually made the good point that, that it's also assuming that you, you've done the easy stuff. Right. And, and you know, and you get a lot of folks like you and I have talked about that, that have never done anything stuff. except yeah. for zone three. Right. Uh, and then they show up and, and they're like, Oh, well you've done all the zone two stuff. Well, actually no, they haven't. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, so I think that's a good point as well. But, um, but I, I also think it's important um, that this is one of the first things that goes as you get older. Yeah. Um, and so a, a lot of older athletes, I think it's important to, to, to keep these sorts of hard efforts in your schedule. Um, if you read any of Joe Friel's stuff um, uh, about aging athletes, you know, his, his big book on that, and it was a great book. It was fantastic. It was called Fast Over 50. Um, that's basically what it boils down to. He says that all of these people uh, – they run 5Ks when they're younger, and they move up to 10Ks, and they move up to marathons, and they might even move up to ultra marathons as they're getting older. And so they're basically kind of getting longer and slower as they get older. And in fact, you need to reverse that trend. Uh, and if you want to slow down the aging process, if you want to slow down the slowdown that comes with getting older, you actually need to do shorter, faster, harder stuff the older that you get because that's what's declining. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the main reasons why you're slowing down. And so do shorter, faster stuff. It will keep that from declining as much. Um, so right. Because like your aerobic endurance, I mean, it's dropping from 100% to 99% roughly. I mean, I'm giving numbers out of thin air here. But the the speed is what kind of drops off a cliff. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, you know, and so, so it's interesting talking about the athletes that come to us. Athlete will come to me and say, say, who's 50 years old? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've done five Ironmans and I'm looking to improve I'm looking to qualify for Kona, something else like that. And they'll come to me and, and, and I'll say, okay, let's do it. And, and I'll start putting these hot, short, hard things on their work. And they're like, Whoa, what are you doing? Cause they've literally never done it before. Yeah. Um, but so not only is it important to, to do it because they've never done it before, but also because they're 50 years old. Yeah. Um, and so it's like the lowest hanging of the low hanging fruit. Um, and, and some pretty pretty phenomenal changes can take place just by by starting to do these these shorter, harder, faster things. That's right. It really kind of helps our athletes become better over the long haul because they haven't worked on it before, and it just provides such a great return on investment. Yeah. I mean, we we talk about how you know aerobic endurance that's something that improves over like seven to fourteen years. I mean, it, it's a kind of a long, slow build. The VO two stuff, it's it's the fastest to go. It's also potentially the fastest to to get going, right, to kind of to build up, you know, if you're looking for kind of a quick turnaround or a quick win. Right on. Um, right on. And then just, you know, to rehash, the, the real reason we do this too is the faster you can run a 5K, the faster you can run a marathon. If you're improving your ability to run fast over a short period of time, it will help you to run, it will help you run fast over a long period of time. Yeah, and and, and there's, there is unified agreement. I mean, there, there there's a great deal of unanimity about this this very thing. Uh, uh, amongst coaches mm-hmm. um you know greg mcmillan says this uh jeff godette from runners connect says this the hansons brothers say this like the idea of 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 
running a fast 5k and that improving your marathon there 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 is widespread agreement about that so this is not just me and patrick talking uh, from my own experience this is also talking from from you know being immersed in the running community seeing what people do seeing what the best people do um and and applying that both for ourselves and for the athletes that we coach yeah absolutely all right so let's talk a little bit about kind of what aerobic power workouts or vo2 workouts look like right um so first of all they can come in the form of distance intervals or time intervals Mm -hmm. right so like when we're at the track we'll say all right run you know three sets of two 400s right or we'll we'll provide a a, we'll prescribe a distance or a set of 200 meters rest in between correct but they can also come in time intervals maybe if you're not near a track or you don't want to run around a track you know something of that maybe you're traveling and you don't really know how to get to a track right um and that would be more like a fart lick where you're you're going hard for a given interval of time and you're going easy for a given interval of time um, and you're really doing the same thing, whether it's a, a time interval or, or a distance interval. Um, now the general template for these workouts is where you're running fast paces and then you have kind of a long, relatively complete recovery. Mm-hmm. And when I say complete, obviously the second rep is going to feel harder than the first and you just go on down the line and fatigue mm-hmm. is going to start to build up, but it's not quite like a threshold workout, like a tempo workout where, the second one is significantly harder than the first and the third one is significantly harder than the second. Right. And you can only do maybe two, three, maybe four reps. Your heart rate's coming down. Correct. Yeah. That, you know, that's, that's a great marker. Yeah. Your heart rate's coming down. Um, because the purpose of a, a VO two max workout or aerobic power workout is to stress your lung power in the efficient efficiency with which your body takes in oxygen and transports it. So in order to kind of sh- keep stressing that over and over again, you almost have to let yourself recover and then do it again. Mm-hmm. so to speak yeah um now uh, some other kind of quick notes you know at itl a lot of times we give folks some flexibility in terms of recovery because you know not everybody is is diff- is, is the same so a lot of times we'll say run 400 meters and then take a 200 meter jog as a rest mm-hmm. because really the goal is to make sure you are recovered yeah right so some people that 200 meter recovery may be you know a minute or two. I mean, it's, it's not much at all. And some people really need to take their time walking around and catching their breath and making sure that they're, they're ready to go. Yeah. When I'm putting text on workouts, when I write them in trainer road, I often say that, that the purpose of the recovery is to recover. And so, so if you need to make it slower or if you need to make it even a little bit longer, that's okay. Now don't get carried away. You know, don't, don't take eight hours worth of recovery and go home and shower and go to work. And, you know, that's not exactly, you know, you're not accomplishing the same thing, but, but same, by the same token, if, if the the prescribed recovery is about two and a half minutes and you need three minutes, yeah, that's fine. That's worth doing. Um, yeah, oftentimes on the track, if I see somebody who's struggling, um, with the lat, with, with, with the, with the workout, I'll say, why don't you take another lap of, why don't you take a break? Why don't you take this repeat off? And so everybody right. else is kind of doing another repeat. You take the repeat off. You, you continue to recover from the last repeat, and then you come back and do the next one strong again. Um, that's a much better thing to do than than to just kind of force your force your way through. Um, that's right, because the true benefits of these workouts, once again, come from hitting the pace that you want to hit. Yeah. Right. It's not from getting it in the dis- getting in the distance. It's getting in the pace. Yeah. And I I found when people do um, uh, workouts like these um, on the treadmill. They're they're not inclined to slow down enough. Um, Interesting. So, so yeah, just because, and I think it might just be a matter of pushing buttons. It might just be mechanical. Um, but but let's say somebody does. Let's say we're doing it by time. Mm-hmm. So they have six by three minutes with two minutes rest, right? So just sort of a very straightforward workout: six by three minutes with two minutes rest. And let's say the time they're supposed to hit for their three minutes on is six minute pace, right? So they're running about a half mile during that three minutes on. They'll run their six-minute pace, and then they'll slow down to like 7.20 pace or something like that for their two minutes rest. If it's me, I'm literally slowing down to like 14-minute pace. Yeah. I mean, I'm shuffling for, for, yeah. for that two minutes in order that I can run the three minutes as fast and as powerfully and strongly as, as, as I possibly can. Um, but but I'll often get, get athletes, they'll come back and say, yeah, I really struggled with the last one here, so I had to slow down the fast part. And I'll look at how fast they ran the easy portions, and I'll say – why did you Why did you speed up on the easy parts? Right, like, like if you, you just slowed down the easy part, recovered more fully, even extended the easy part by a minute, but keep the fast parts fast. Right, absolutely. Um, 
So let's see. Any anything else to add about uh, aerobic power workouts? No, I mean you know there, there's there's a lot of different ways that that you you can do a, uh, workouts that, that promote your economy. But but as Patrick and I were, were preparing for this one today tonight, we're saying well. Then when it comes to the like VO two and power stuff, it's all pretty straightforward, <laughs> right? You know, and of course you mix up the, the 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 distances, you mix up the total distance, you mix up um, uh, the recoveries based on where you are in the training cycle, based on what your goal race is. Um, but but all of them are kind of boil going to boil down to some number times some other number with this pace at a certain with with a certain amount of rest. So. And, and for folks who are kind of they're more formulaic or who are right who are very formulaic or kind of academic in thinking in terms of recovery usually there there's there there's some literature says once you hit about three minutes you you know that fourth minute doesn't provide too much you know benefit in terms of recovery yeah. so that's kind of the max you want mm-hmm. some says that limit some research says that limit is four mm-hmm. but either way it's going to be three or four minutes is about the max recovery that you need in, in a workout. Um, cause you, like I said, that fifth work, that fifth minute mm-hmm. doesn't really provide you, your much physiological benefit in terms of target paces for, for each rep. It's going to be somewhere between like mile race pace and 5k race pace. Usually mm-hmm. sometimes 10k, but it's usually mile to 5k. And then each rep is going to be probably between 300 meters and a mile or so, maybe 2,400 meters max. Yeah, um, twenty four hundred meters would be long. Um, usually, when I, when I'm riding them, um, I try and keep in mind about five minutes worth of running. Yeah, um, that's and, a, that's a great five five minutes worth of running is, is of hard running is about the maximum you want to do for a VO two, Wh- whatever the distance is, whether that's a half mile or a mile, um, it's about five minutes worth of running. Right, and then the, you do change these workouts throughout the year, like I said, to kind of um, adjust where you are in your training cycle. In the beginning, they start out a little shorter and a little faster, and then you kind of add the di- add distance as you move along through the training cycle and build towards your, your goal race. So, uh, that's kind of why we do speed work. That is, you know, why we, you know, prescribe our runners to run faster than goal race pace or even faster than half marathon race pace. You know, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to to tap into physiological buckets that will kind of better prepare you um, for the challenges of the race. You know, we talked about, you know, the different types of running economy workouts, maybe some of the different types of aerobic power workouts, but maybe now hopefully some listeners get a better idea of why we're doing what we're doing and why we have the whiteboard full of, you know, many strange reps and workouts every Tuesday morning at the lakeside track. Right on. Now, don't get me wrong. If anybody comes up to me and says, why are we doing these sorts of things? I'll still have a conversation with you or exchange the email with you about why it is that we do the workouts that we do. Um, but perhaps I'll point you to episode 60 of the podcast from now on as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And then one quick other clarification we can make, because I've received this question a lot, is one thing we always do at ITL is we always like to relate all workout paces back to race effort. Because, you know, even though there are there is some... So first of all, there's a lot of academic jargon out there and a lot of kind of academic research out there, but it can be a little disjointed uh, along with kind of the, the language used by running coaches because running is something that kind of... or, or exercise science is something that kind of came about in many different countries you know you know the germans came up with their own language for for describing training you know the new zealanders same thing australian coaches same thing so our language is a little bit ambiguous right when kind of looking at the nitty-gritty so that's why we always like to relate back to race effort specifically yeah i mean even if you consider the the, so the, the one pace that i will commonly often give people that's not a race effort pace mm-hmm. is tempo pace correct and even if you just consider like what is tempo pace when i describe tempo pace i'm talking about the pace that somebody could hold for roughly an hour worth of racing right so if you do it for three minutes it's not really all that hard but if you do it for you know 50 minutes it's gonna be super duper hard it'd be a race level effort right. right it's 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 effectively the same thing as functional threshold power on a bicycle Okay. Um, and so that's what I mean, and that's what that's what ITL coaches mean when we say tempo, because we've all agreed that we'll mean the same thing. Um, if you if you read uh, the Hanson's running method, the 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 book by the coaches of of one time coaches of of Des Linden, um, they they consider tempo runs to be marathon pace. They literally use the same language, but they mean marathon pace. And of course, nobody's running a marathon in fifty minutes. Um, <laughs> if you read Hal Higdon. 
um, another kind of really, really well-known person. Yep. Um, tempo pace for him, or when he talks about doing a tempo run, he says that tempo pace starts, or tempo run should start at roughly marathon pace and should finish at about 10K pace. Right. And so basically that's what I would call a progression run. Um, and so like even that one term, um, you know, a lot of coaches will disagree on, on what that term actually means. And so nobody disagrees about what 5K pace is. It's a pace at which you could run a 5K. That's a right. great point. Like, we don't have a uniform language, but we do have uniform race distances we compete over. Right. So that's why we use that language here kind of at ITL and that vernacular because it kind of helps athletes understand quickly with little ambiguity, this is the pace I should be running or this is the effort I should be running. Right. Um, it only adds to the confusion if you try to incorporate all the different kind of tactics or languages of all the different coaches out there. Right. Um, which in many ways has a little correlation to what the athlete actually feels and relates to during a race effort or an intense, you know, uh, training effort. Truth. So anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there so that if folks kind of listened to this podcast and then did some Googling and then, you know, reached back out to us, you know, we wanted to try to avoid some confusion and say, that's why we always use race effort as kind of our gauge and our, our language for, for how to set a pace. Right on. Very good. All right, Patrick, I think that wraps us up, right? Absolutely. Very good. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Don't forget, if you want to send me an email, send it to george at itlcoaching.com. If you want to send Patrick an email, send it to patrick at itlcoaching.com. If you want to send us both an email, you can send it to those addresses, or you can send it to the podcast email, pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, or on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast. If you want to check out ITL Coaching and Performance, go to itlcoaching.com, follow them on Twitter at itlcoaching, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. And finally, for all your travel needs, don't forget about Blue Pineapple Travel. Find Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We appreciate your listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.